Please turn to 2 Timothy and the end of the book, chapter 4. We're going to finish our look at 2 Timothy today. And once you find it, please stand up and we'll read together. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 9 to the end. This is God's holy word. Please give ear to it. It says, Do your best to come to me soon. Redeem us in love with this present world has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia. Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all, the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed, and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. In verse 19, greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus remained at Corinth, and I left Trophimus, who was ill, in Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Ubalus sends greetings to you, as do Putin's and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. Verse 22, the Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Have a seat, and let's go to Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, so often we come to your word with an attitude that is not fitting it. Lord, without the respect and attention and without giving you the honor that you deserve, Lord, forgive us. We pray now, Lord, we need your Holy Spirit. May your Holy Spirit be a work in us now in helping us to understand helping us to be attentive, helping us to believe and to apply and obey your word. Help us now, we pray, in Christ's name. Amen. So what would you do if you knew that your life was coming to an end? Maybe you 
went to the doctor and got a test and said you had cancer or something like that. And you knew you just had a short time that you were to live. What, what would you do? How would that change the way you lived your life? Would it change your priorities at all? Now, a lot of you know I, I spent the, a lot of the summer with my father, about a month or so, and my dad is 81 years old. And uh, we lost my mother earlier this year. So as my dad kind of approaches the end of his life, and especially as we lost my mom and as a lot of his friends are passing away, and I actually attended a funeral, one of his friends, together with him when I was home. But that's a normal occurrence with him. Every time I talk to him on the phone, he says, oh, this person passed away, this person passed away. So he knows it's just a matter of time before it's his funeral. And I think that is changing uh, his priorities a bit, as I think it does probably for anyone. And I noticed my dad now, what does he spend his time on, uh, especially now that he is kind of retired from his job, he spends a lot of time uh, with the Word, especially listening to sermons on YouTube, a lot of R.C. Sproul sermons and John MacArthur sermons. He also spends his time a lot with uh, his brothers and sisters in the church, and really he's been at the same church for 40, over 40 years, so he has deep relationships with people, and he's continuing to, to cultivate them. And also, he's concerned about next generation. Um, now, think about our Lord Jesus. Now, we know that Jesus, his, his life, as he lived his life, he was headed towards the cross. That was his mission. And anything that got in, that way, got in the way of that, remember when Peter um, said something to Jesus one time that, kind of got in the way of that mission. He said, get behind me, Satan, right? Because the cross was at the forefront of his mind. That was his mission, and that's to die for our sins, for the sins of his people, to save his people, the cross. And the cross, his death, and the cross, it shaped his whole life, his whole ministry, and everything that Jesus said and did, and shaped it. And we think about some of the things that Jesus, some of his priorities in his ministry as he's going to the cross. What did he do a lot of? Obviously, preaching the gospel, the word of God, is a focus of Christ's ministry. He warned. He gave us a lot of warnings um, about hell, about the Pharisees, um, works righteousness. And he poured his life into 12 disciples, right? 
especially in those final days as he went to the, right before he went to the cross, he spent a great amount of time with those 12 disciples. And this is, this is kind of what we see here in the Apostle Paul's life as well. As he's nearing the end of his life, and you can see, remember our verses from last week? Why don't we look at that again back in verse 6. Let's read that again. Verse 6 and following. It says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. And so we see that Paul understood that he was coming to the end of his life, that he was about to uh, be martyred. And so in light of this, Let's think about what we can see about Paul's priorities here. And this final, he's kind of his final words. You know, this second Timothy, the final, this is the final letter that we have from Paul. And these are, this is the final part of it. So it's his final words. So what is his priorities here? What are they? Um, and as we think of this, keep in mind the words of Ecclesiastes 7. He says, it's better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. One translation of that says it's better to go to a funeral than a wedding. Because it brings wisdom. So this is, this is the main idea we see in today's passage. Impending death reveals the priorities of gospel ministry. And we'll look at this under three W's. First of all, warning. We see Paul makes some strong warnings. Secondly, the word. He prioritizes the word as he's about to die. And lastly, and this one's pushing the W's a little bit, pushing the alliteration, but withness, which has to do with the people. Couldn't find a better W than that. <laughs> so warning, word, and withness. First of all, warning. Now, in this passage, if you notice, there are actually two people that are warned about. And there are two different kinds of warning. One, the first one is Demas. Now, Demas, his warning is kind of indirect because, well, Paul's doesn't see, I don't know if Demas would read this. That would be kind of awkward. <laughs> but I wonder if Demas read this. But Demas, it's, he's not exactly speaking to Demas directly, but he's warning others not to let what happened to Demas happen to them. So it's a warning for us. As well. So what is that? Look at verse 10. He says, For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Okay, so who 
exactly was Demas. Now, Demas was actually not just a, a regular believer, but he seems to have been a minister in the church. And he's mentioned in several places throughout the New Testament. Paul mentions him. And the other mentions are very uh, praiseworthy mentions. And he's mentioned in association with Timothy, um, for example. And it, good things are said about him. So this is an especially, um, this is a special warning because of that. Because we know that Demas, uh, at least from the outside looking in, even from as the Apostle Paul saw it, Demas seemed to be a very strong and healthy and fruitful Christian who seemed to be serving the Lord. But Paul says he's in love with this present world and he deserted me. And what does that mean exactly? There, we, we don't know exactly because it, we don't have all the details, of course. It could be that Demas was uh, a backslided believer. That, that's possible. It is possible for us as true Christians, as the elect of God, to backslide very badly. And to which that could properly be called being in love with this present world. And therefore, he deserted Paul when he should have stood with him, when he should have supported him. He should have stayed there and done his calling and fulfilled his calling to help Paul and to continue in the gospel ministry. But he didn't. He deserted him. It's also possible, we know that um, the Bible tells us that, for example, in John 10, that um, no one can snatch, no one can snatch those that have been given to, uh, that the Father has given to the Son. So all who are truly saved, who are chosen by God, cannot be snatched away, though we can backslide. It's possible, however, that Demas was merely a professing believer and in the covenant community, baptized, and you can even be a minister, but not truly be saved. But either way, we have a strong warning here, and that is not to love this present world. Now, when we think about our current situation and time and as we look at the world and how things are changing these days, I think this is an especially important message and warning for us. Now, in the past, for a good long time, in many places like the US and, and Korea too, it's been possible to be a faithful Christian and have a nice job, have a nice car, go on vacation, and without having to compromise uh, your Christian testimony and um, your Christian faith. However, now I'm no prophet, but as I look at the world around us, I think that darker and harder days of trial are coming our way, coming the way for the church. And I think in the future, we're going to be asked to choose between serving Christ, following Christ, or following the world 
And so we have to be on guard now because, you see, this isn't something that happens just all of a sudden, but it is something that happens very slowly with little decisions. And the world slowly takes away our affection for Christ, and we start to love the world instead of loving Christ. And so let us carefully be on guard and um, set our affections again to our first love, the Lord Jesus. And let us, you know, there's so many different um, ways we have to be on guard. One thing for me is, you know, I invest money in the stock market, right? So um, I'm always looking at the app. One of the things I have to constantly pray is, Lord, I pray that I would not love money. I would not love the things of this world. That I would love you. And you have to constantly be aware of how your, where your thoughts are. Um, and turn them, return them to the Lord and to his word and to the goodness of God. So that's, that's the first warning here for Demas, not to, not to be in love with this present world and desert uh, the church. But the second one is for someone called Alexander. Look at verse 14. It says, Alexander, the coppersmith, did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to to his deeds, beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed your message. Now, Alexander the coppersmith, who was he? We don't know too much about who he was exactly, but it seems perhaps uh, many have thought that he was a former member of a church, uh, of the church in which, um, and he was excommunicated perhaps but what it does tell us is that he did Paul great harm but how so it says he have strongly opposed our message what message is that well that's the gospel so Alexander the coppersmith strongly opposed the gospel message and it apparently he did so in a way that got Paul in trouble, and perhaps this is why he was being uh, put forth uh, for trial here. And we'll talk about that um, a little more in a second. But Paul was in, uh, remember, he was writing this letter from prison, and he had been, charges had been brought up against him. And perhaps because Alexander the coppersmith brought up false charges against him. But whatever happened, he harmed Paul greatly and opposed the gospel. Now I want you to notice the different reactions Paul takes to someone like Demas, deserts him, and someone like Alexander, who opposed the gospel strongly publicly. Notice what he says to, to those who deserted him. He says, 
Um, versus that. Uh, so in verse 16, he says, may it not be charged against, against them, right? So he's basically praying that they would be forgiven um, and that they would come to repentance and faith. But to Alexander the coppersmith, look what he says. He says, the Lord will repay him according to his deeds. We have something there that's almost very similar to what you might read in the Psalms when they, we have what we call the, um, what do we call them? <laughs> the Psalms where you're praying um, basically a kind of almost like a curse upon the enemies of God. You see, here, we, Alexander the coppersmith is not only an enemy of Paul, but he's an enemy of God and of all God's people and of the truth because he's opposing the gospel message. And so we need to keep in mind the different ways in which um, you would respond to people. We have a responsibility to warn very strongly against those who oppose the gospel message directly, strongly, as it says here. And, you know, that doesn't really make a lot of friends a lot of times. People often don't like that. And yet, it's important to warn people when something that important is at stake. You know, about a month ago, I was driving through Yosemite Park, and all of a sudden, I saw this big chunk of something iron in the middle of the road, and I had to kind of swerve out of the way of it. And I thought about the people behind me. Now, uh, to my shame, I just kept on driving. But I probably should have somehow figured out a way to warn them. Because I'm afraid that maybe the next person, because it's kind of foggy and getting dark, I'm afraid that the next person coming along behind me might have hit that chunk and damaged their car, maybe even got hurt. So we have a responsibility to warn it's important to warn uh, others, especially when it's someone like Alexander the coppersmith, and those who oppose the message of the gospel directly. And we can think of many uh, groups today that oppose the gospel directly, any cults and false churches that we need to oppose and warn. Just like Paul uh, warned against Alexander. So, 1 Corinthians 10 tells us, Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So, we're to warn one another. We're also, we see here that Paul puts a priority on the word. And first of all, he puts a priority on the written word. Let's look at verse 13. Now, this, I think, is really interesting. He says, when you come, 
bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all, the parchments. Now, it was about to be winter soon in Rome, and it was going to be a bit cold. So Paul wanted his coat, but it seems like he wants something even more than his coat. He says he left some things with a guy named Carpus at Troas. Now, now Carpus is a guy who's not mentioned anywhere else in the Bible as far as I know. Troas is a little town that's uh, on the northwest side of Asia Minor, uh, up from Ephesus. So if Timothy's, if Paul's writing this letter to Timothy, telling him to bring this, I was a little curious if he was going to go through Troas. Maybe if you're walking and not taking the boat, then you have to go uh, over that direction. Uh, I'm not sure. But if you're going to take a boat, it's kind of out of the way, it seems like. But anyways, he says, um, make sure you pick up the stuff that I left with Carpus at Troas. And what is it? It says, the books and, above all, the parchments. Now, isn't this kind of remarkable that Paul is about to die, and yet what he wants is his books? <laughs> so, as all of us bibliophiles can relate to the Apostle Paul here, his great love for books. But I don't think it's simply that. What probably are these books and parchments? Most likely, these are copies of the scriptures um, on the one hand, and on the other hand, things he can write more letters uh, to. Now, we don't have, as far as I know, any more recorded letters of Paul after this point. Uh, I wonder if he did write any more letters, if Timothy was able to bring that to him. Um, it's one of those things I look forward to finding out in the new heavens and the new earth. Uh, but anyways, what we should learn from this is the very importance of, of the written word, but especially um, the, how the gospel is passed through the written word. Now, uh, John Calvin in his commentary on this, he says this, where are those who think that they have made so great progress that they do not need any more exercise? Which of them will dare to compare himself with Paul? Still more does this expression refute the madness of those men who, despising books and condemning all reading, boast of nothing but their own enthusiasmus, divine inspirations. But let us know that this passage gives to all believers a recommendation of constant reading that they may profit by it. So I, I would ask you, you know, how much do you read and what do you read? Because reading is actually something that's not just for the nerds, but it should be for all Christians. Um, to read, especially, obviously, the scriptures, but also books that help us to understand and apply the scriptures rightly. So um, I hope that we would all develop a, a habit. It's something that actually takes discipline. It's a kind of spiritual discipline to learn to set aside, you know, maybe not too much if you're not, if you're not um, used to doing it, but a chapter a day or something like that is really helpful. Um, and get in the habit of reading, most especially the scriptures.
But we see another emphasis, priority that Paul has on the word. If you look down um, in verse 17 and 18, and there he says, But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. Every deed, uh, all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And what is going on here? Now, if we look a few verses back, we see that Paul is talking about his first trial. Now, when you go to trial, you probably think that you'd be focusing on kind of exonerating yourself so that you might be declared innocent by the earthly court. But the Apostle Paul was much more interested in something else, in, in the verdict that had already been given by the heavenly court, that he was justified in God's eyes, you see. And he is proclaiming the message that all who believe in Christ will be declared righteous, declared innocent. And that's why he used his trial, which most people would be using that time to, to argue on their behalf. He used that time to preach the gospel. That was what was important to him, that word, that word of God, the gospel message. That was his priority. So I hope that when we encounter situations, probably not as extreme necessarily as the Apostle Paul um, and his trial, but when someone accuses you of wrongdoing that, you're, that you are innocent of, um, you know, of course, there's a place for defending yourself, but there's also, we need to remember that what's most important is not what the human judgments of us, but God's judgment. And, and the status of being accepted by God, being declared righteous, innocent in his eyes. And so that's what we need to focus on. So when someone accuses you, Think about how can you respond in a way that shows the gospel message back to them. That was Paul's priority here. You know, he knew he was about to die, and so he didn't care as much about defending his, himself here, but rather wanted scriptures, uh, to, uh, the, the word of God, the gospel, to be the priority. And he was so thankful that he got a chance to do that, that, the message was proclaimed. And he was thankful that he had that opportunity, even though it was a difficult trial for him. So that was his priority, Paul's priority, the word of God. A Proverbs 4 says, get wisdom, get insight, do not forget, do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her, and she will keep you. Love her, and she will guard you. So Paul prioritized the warning, the word of God in the gospel. Lastly, he prioritized witness. And this is the part that really stuck out to me in this passage is all the relationships. 
Now, you know, when I counted them, you guys can double check, I counted 17 names, 17 different names, maybe 18, 17, at least 17 different names just in these few verses of people uh, that Paul had some sort of relationship, most of them good, as we talked about already, a few of them uh, painful. But we see this great priority that Paul had upon the people, upon uh, these relationships, the ministry with the people. Now, first of all, look what he says in verse 9. He says to Timothy, remember he's writing this letter to Timothy, he says, do your best to come to me soon. And so it's important that we come to one another. You know, God called Timothy through Paul to come visit Paul, even though it was very difficult for Timothy. You know where Timothy was? He's writing this letter to him in Ephesus, most people think. And that's a long ways from Rome. It's, it's not that close. <laughs> uh, it's not just uh, a little jaunt in the country. It's, it would take a lot of effort. And, you know, actually, he's asking him to come. This is the second time when you look in the New Testament and the book Acts. Uh, it seems like Timothy came to Rome once before to visit Paul in his first imprisonment, and now this is kind of his second imprisonment in Rome, as I understand it. And he's asking him to come again, right? So I ask you, you know, who is the Lord calling you to visit? Even though maybe you, it's very difficult for you to do so. <laughs> now, I told you I visited my dad. I felt called to go visit him um, and try to help as I could with help him and but I, each of us have different callings and different relationships and different people now during this covid time uh, a lot of us have been separated from one another unfortunately so i hope that we would take extra effort even though it's difficult to try to continue to connect with one another um, in safe ways you know uh, it's good even to contact one another on the internet, you know, have some video chats with people, but also we're allowed to meet one another, at least, uh, what is it, four people during the day or two uh, in the evening. So take advantage of that and try to visit people. Who's God calling you to visit? And he says soon. There is an urgency to this for Paul. He may have been killed uh, very shortly, so Timothy had to come before that, but there is an urgency to many of God's commands that he gives us and that we need to be aware of. So it's important that we um, come to those that we need to come to, to visit them. Um, but looking on, we can see some more relationships here in verse 10 after the warning to Demas. We see Crescens has gone to Galatia. Titus to Dalmatia, Luke alone is with me. So Crescens, we don't know too much about. Apparently he was one of the 70 disciples that Jesus sent out to minister. He went to Galatia, so he couldn't be with Paul previously. With Paul, Titus, we're going to see, obviously, uh, he was the next, very next letter. If you see, in, probably in your Bible, the next page says Titus, right? 
So Titus was in Crete, and he, Paul sent a letter that would have been previous to this, um, written previous to this, in which he's telling him to appoint elders in Crete. But here it says that Titus went to Dalmatia. So this seems to be after he, he must have come back to Rome, it seems like, and then went to Dalmatia. Now, you guys know about the Dalmatian dogs, but do you know where Dalmatia is? It's actually in modern-day Croatia. It's just uh, not too, if you look from on the map up from Rome, just a little northeast um, up on the coast of Croatia. That's Dalmatia, and that's where the dogs come from. So that's, that's where Titus uh, was at. And then it says Luke alone is with him. Although we're going to see down below that there were a few more people. He wasn't, it wasn't only Luke. But and then he says, very interesting, he says, get Mark and bring him with you, for he's very useful to me for ministry. Now, you remember Mark? Mark, if you read about Mark in the book of Acts, they kind of had a big fight. Him and Paul uh, involved... Um, What's his name? Yes, thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, Barnabas. So Barnabas and, and Paul split ways over Mark, right? So we don't know exactly what that was about, but here we see Paul is restored. Paul's restored with, with Mark. And it says, Mark, bring him because he's very useful to me for ministry. So he tells... Timothy to bring him along. So that's uh, very encouraging, isn't it, to see how he could be restored. And I do hope that Demas was restored in a similar way. We see that from Mark. And it says, Tychicus, I have sent to Ephesus. Right? So Tychicus, we also don't know too much about, but he seems to have been a guy who would take the letters. Um, Paul would send him to take the letters that he'd write to other cities and deliver them. So very important job in that sense. So look at all those relationships that Paul has. Now he's feeling lonely because all these people have left him. And I can relate. We're saying goodbye to Ryan today. We've said goodbye to Daniel. And the Pendletons are leaving on the 15th. And the Stewarts left. And we have so many people who've uh, left. And so I can feel um, a similar feeling to what Paul must have felt. Um, but he's thankful that they're able to go out and ministry and minister in different places. And, and so, so am I. I got to visit some of our former members in California. You guys, some of you know the Mumpers and the Odinas um, and Rowan and Heeson. I got to see all of them. So that was a real blessing. But sometimes it feels a little lonely. And the apostle was feeling very lonely as all these people um, had left him. And you notice when it talks about his first defense there in verse 16, it says, No one came to stand by me. All deserted me. Uh, may it not be charged against them. Verse 17, But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. So we have to take... Um, consolation that even when people are leaving and we feel very alone the Lord stands 
by us. The Lord stands by us. He, he will never leave us or forsake us. And that is amazing comfort of the gospel, that the Lord is always there. You know, the Holy Spirit, if you're a believer, the Holy Spirit dwells in you all the time. And there may, may be times when uh, we don't sense his presence and we feel lonely. And that's a time when we're to return again um, more eagerly, more diligently to the word of God and to the means of grace um, to find his comfort. But the Lord promises to be there. And it says not only was he there, but when the Lord is there with you, what happens? He strengthens you. And what strength is that? That is the power of the resurrection. You know, if you're a believer, you're united to Christ in his death and in his resurrection. And the power that you have, he strengthens you by, is his resurrection power. And he strengthened Paul to enable him to preach the gospel in that, that terrible trial. Can you imagine him being all by himself? Can you imagine being a trial all by yourself? That's what Paul, a trial for his life, all by himself. Everyone had deserted him, and the Lord stood by him and comforted him. And the Lord will stand by us in every situation as well. But finally, we see these greetings at the end of this section. It says, greet Prisca and Aquila. Now, Prisca and Aquila, you might know better from the book Acts as Priscilla and Aquila. And it's interesting because the lady is mentioned first, probably because she was a bit more outspoken than her husband. Now, these were both uh, Jewish Christians, and they had been kicked out of Rome uh, with the persecutions from Nero, and they were tent makers like Paul. And um, the church had met in their home. We read about one time where... Um, Priscilla and Aquila correct a guy named Apollos, who was a good preacher, but he didn't understand everything yet about uh, Christ, about the gospel of Christ. So they, they led him and corrected him in a more accurate, biblical way. So he greets them, tells Timothy to greet them, and says the household of Onesiphorus. Now, Notice how it says the household of that guy, or it doesn't say household of anyone else. That's probably because he had passed away. We read about Onesiphorus earlier in chapter 1 in this book, and there he had been a guy who had helped Paul in his, when he was in prison a lot. Um, so Paul is very thankful, and he's expressing his greetings to the household um, of Onesiphorus, because it talks about him in, his, in the past tense in chapter 1. So it seems like he might have passed away. And then Erastus remained at Corinth. Don't know too much about him. Then we have a guy that says, I left Trophimus, who was ill, at Miletus. The Trophimus, if you remember from the book of Acts, he was the Gentile who had gone with Paul uh, to Jerusalem. And the Jews got really upset because they said, you, Paul, you brought gentile into the temple now I, I don't think he actually brought him into the temple but they accused him of that and so they tried to kill paul 
and it was a huge mess, a huge mob. Uh, but here we see poor Trophimus again is sick. So <laughs> the things related to Trophimus in the Bible are kind of uh, hard times. But it says Paul left him at Miletus, which is close to his hometown um, of Ephesus. And then it says, do your best to come before winter. He repeats that. So a second time he's saying, come, come quickly, before winter. He wants that coat probably, but also he's afraid he's going to. Uh, he doesn't know when he's going to die. It could be then, could be soon. So come before he dies. So there's urgency to this. And it says, Ubalus sends greetings, as do Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. Again, we don't know too much about these folks, although uh, the Roman church does have some traditions about Linus being the, the pope, as they claim after Peter. And uh, some say that Claudia and Pudens were his father, um, who knows about, <laughs> about the relationships there? But Claudia, we know, is a woman's name. So it's, it's very good and instructive here that Paul is greeting not only the men, but the women in the church as well in their parts. And then he says, the Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. So even though he couldn't be with them physically, he sends his greetings and he reminds them the Lord prays. Lord, be with their spirit. And that is what we should do for those who, that we are separated from and who we love in Christ, our brothers and sisters, those who leave this church and continue to pray for them um, after they've left us. So uh, Hebrews 10 says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So I'd ask you as we come to close here, uh, what are your priorities in life? And as we examine our priorities, there may be some things that we need to repent of. Because it's very easy to have the wrong priorities in this life. Think of, again, our Lord Jesus, and his priority was to die for you. That was his priority, to die for your sins so that you could be forgiven. And our priority is, has to be that gospel. It has to be to warn those who turn aside from that gospel and to... Share the gospel in every opportunity that we have and to minister the gospel in relationships with one another. So examine your priorities and are they in line with God's priorities? So I'll leave you with Matthew 6. Jesus says there, Do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Would you join me in prayer?
Our Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, uh, for all of your word. It is all inspired and profitable uh, for your people to sanctify us, Lord, to correct us. Lord, we pray uh, that our priorities, Lord, might be the same as yours. Lord, as we live our lives, we are conscious, Lord, that you may take us at any time, that there's no guarantee that we'll live long lives, that we'll live to be old people. Lord, we pray that we would live in light of eternity and that we might set our priorities aright, that our priority might be your word, your gospel message, that our priority might be to warn those who turn aside or don't believe your word, and that our priority might be to be with brothers and sisters and minister to one another. Uh, so Lord, we pray that you give us wisdom now and help us. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen.